Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This is a follow-up from an earlier listener mail segment where our fellow conspiracy realist, Ryan, hipped us to a strange story about cheese in the United States. We talked a little bit about our favorite cheese commercials. I mean, some of the is clearly a genre now. You know, it's sometimes called, although I hate the name, food porn. Uh, we all know what we're talking about, the slow motion clips of like, um, Noel, you had a good example of a mozzarella stick. That's a classic being pulled. Mm. 
And then we had, you know, Taco Bell, quesadillas, quesalupas, which play a big role here. And uh, this this kind of commercial is almost a trope nowadays. And in fact, there are trendy restaurants aplenty in this country dedicated entirely to one sort of cheesy food or another. Like, have you guys ever been to a macaroni and cheese restaurant or a place that only sells grilled cheese sandwiches? It's very mm-hmm. New York. Yeah, there's a place I went to. I think it was in Oakland. It was called Homework or something like that. It was meant to evoke feelings of like childhood and like lunchroom stuff. But it was these bespoke kind of personal pan, like little, um, you know, those uh, dishes that are meant to be put in the oven, like kind Mm -hmm. of like bakeware or whatever, like little Dutch oven kind of guys uh, with macaroni and cheese of all different flavors and varieties. And it was obviously very overpriced for mac and cheese, but it was delicious. Um, What about fondue? You guys ever been to a fondue restaurant? Mm-hmm. There's a chain here in Atlanta. I think it's called the Melting Pot or something like that. Mm. For uh, me, it was all about the pirate ship. Oh, Dante's you, down the hatch. You're Dante's yes. guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so good. Uh, uh, yeah, we. Uh, but you but know, seriously, every, yeah, grilled cheese food trucks do not sleep on those. No, in Atlanta there are a ton of them. Uh, uh, grilled cheese food trucks, guys. Oh. Mm. So we're we're both cheesy and fans of cheese. So if you do not like, this is the weirdest trigger warning we've ever done. If you do not like puns, this is not the episode for you, and you should just go to the next episode. But uh, but the the thing is, you know, longtime listeners, you know, I have a personal obsession with quesadillas. Uh, they're basic. They're kind of a grilled cheese, I would argue. Um, and in fact, folks, all of us here at the Stuff They Don't Want You Know team, we all love cheese and we all love talking about food. And we wanted to make sure that was an accurate statement. So right before we went to air, I went ahead and pinged our super producer, codenamed Doc Holiday, and, and said, Matt and I worked on how to write this question. Mm-hmm. We said, hey, Doc, this is a work question. Do you like cheese? If so, what <laughs> kind? Doc says, I love cheese but I don't eat it as much as I would. And she kind of alluded to, you know, health concerns. Uh, But she says, I am literally the eating shredded cheese out of the bag person. So we're going to hit her (laughs) with same. We're reading this on air. Sorry, Doc. (laughs) Uh, So, and, and, you know, Paul Mission Control, of course, uh, one of the, one of the prime uh, champions of Applebee's loves cheese and, yeah. Matt Noel, do you guys have a favorite cheese, or are you a yes all cheese kind of kind of crew? Yeah, I mean, I guess all cheeses aren't really created equal. I'll tell you what I think does get slept on a little bit is just good old fashioned American cheese product. You know, mm. not even proper. It's, it's look, I wouldn't like. I like it on. I'll tell you what I like it on. Melted because it melts beautifully on like a breakfast biscuit. Like like an egg and a sausage on a biscuit, and you just slap that cheese product on. We're going to get into this. Um, And it just melts beautifully, and it's its own thing. And a lot of, like, kind of cool breakfast divey type joints do that, too. But I am – I like a – I like a funky cheese, you know? Mm-hmm. I like, like a, a little bit of a foot smell to your cheese. Uh, well, well, I don't like Don't worry, that's for me, Ben. <laughs> you ever had a raclette? Raclette is a one that's like a Swiss oh, yeah. one that also has its own kind of fondue situation where you melt it over meats and stuff on this special little grill. That's a, And you drink a lot of vodka with it, which is a bonus. Man, that sounds good. What about for, you, Matt? For my money, yeah, for my money, it's you combine 
let's say a pecan slash pecan uh, with some kind of dried fruit and a goat cheese. Mix, mix those together with anything else. You're good to go. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. A little chevra, right? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty, uh, as you guys know, I am uh, pretty non-discriminatory when it comes to food in general. Uh, Doc says that her favorites are gorgonzola, blue cheese, and gouda. Uh, and when we were talking about this, you probably have your own favorite cheese, conspiracy realist, uh, just statistically. But we're talking about this. We're talking about a national phenomenon. Cheese is almost a staple. Well, I'd say cheese is a staple nowadays in the U.S. And it can be weird if you travel to other countries where cheese is not really a thing. Uh, and, you know, you wouldn't see it very often in a in your normal grocery store or market. Uh, you'd probably only run into it if you went to like a pizza restaurant or something of that nature. Uh, but in different parts of the world that are historically not on board with cheese, uh, it, it is still like a growing industry. So here are the facts. Before we get into the conspiracy, folks, you have to realize cheese is, as uh, the younger humans would say, popular AF in the U.S. Unless you are lactose intolerant, unless you're vegan or have some other dietary restriction, odds are you have consumed some cheese recently this wasn't always the case. We'll get to it. Um, we are adventurous cheese eaters, uh, but if you're the average American, you know, one of your favorite cheeses or the one you consume most often is going to be cheddar. And there are health concerns that come into cheese consumption, but I, I suggest we put those to, a st to the side for a moment, uh, to the side of our cheese plate and look at just the straight consumption because this is... For cheesemakers, uh, this sounds like a resounding success story. Oh, yeah. So if, if you start back in the mid-1970s, let's say 1975, you're an average American. Look at you. So are we. We are all average Americans. We consumed around 14 pounds of cheese. That's in a year. So in a year's time, you would eat 14 pounds of cheese. Now, if you went to a deli right now, wherever you are, and you said, give me a pound of cheese... That seems like a lot, <laughs> right? Now, 14 of those? It does. I think you typically order your cheese in maybe a quarter pounds, right? I think a quarter pound of cheese is respectable. Hey, oh, if wow. you got a family, it's half a pound or a pound. That's just the way you got to go. Okay, fair. I am a family. <laughs> wow. Family of one. <laughs> Look, I... That's my, this is my experience. So perhaps I'm wrong, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just imagine 14 pounds. That seems like a lot already. It, in my opinion, maybe that's wrong, but it's not, it's not as much as it has grown to. Yeah, you're right, Matt. It's skyrocketed, uh, as of 2019. And this is a number that continued to rise during the pandemic. But as of 2019, the average U S consumer was eating around 40 Four zero point four pounds of cheese per year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's just the tip of the cheeseburg. Er, <laughs> no, that's good. We're keeping it <laughs> uh, for the past ten years. U.S. per capita consumption of cheese has r risen even more, uh, over five pounds um, from that point. 
Uh, and as this began to happen, we had other dairy categories that had largely remained unchanged or were flat or had even fallen. Um, things like consumption of fluid milk had plummeted from 247 pounds per person in 1975 to 146 pounds in 2018. Which makes sense. I mean, like we talked about, uh, I think on the um, uh, the cheese segment on the uh, listener mail, you know, there were all these amazing ad campaigns, you know, to get milk back up, milk drinking about how it's good for your bones and calcium and and got milk and all of that. Uh, now, I think most people think of milk as an ingredient rather than a beverage unto itself, like something you add to a smoothie or use in baking a cake. But it, it doesn't seem very in vogue to just drink milk as a refreshing beverage. Well, un- unless unless you're a kid, uh, you know, a lot of parents still give their children milk. Like in the well, mornings, sure. I, I give my son milk, cow's milk. Um, and we have we have for a long time. But the the ability to this always so interesting, the ability to digest lactose in adulthood is a relatively recent mutation in part of the human species. And it's far from uniform. Uh, so sometimes it's funny because if you if you watch television or film, uh, you'll see the consumption of drinking milk is almost always a statement now. It's not the, the only time you'd see it as like a quote unquote normal everyday thing is if it's an indicator of time and place. So like our story takes place in the 1950s or something, or if it's uh, one of those tremendously irritating breakfast scenes where there's this huge, you know, the, like there's this huge spread and they got juice and they got water and they got coffee and they got milk. And then the guy, like the patriarch or the kid or whomever is running through the house and they're they're like getting calls and they, they look at this and they like take half a bite of toast and they're like, all right, love you, honey, got to go. And no one mentions you the, monster. Is what right? I would say. I, I did all this work. I made you this continental breakfast type situation. You didn't need all that, but I did it for you because I love you. You couldn't even bother yourself to eat more than a bite of toast. I want a divorce. Um, Jeez Louise. That's that's where that goes. Uh, but no, it's true. Milk is not nearly as uh, popular as it used to be. Uh, I, th- I like chocolate milk. I think that still probably flies off the shelves pretty well, but it's something you put in your coffee now. Yeah. I, think. Um, I got a sideways story for you guys real quick about, you know, the urban legend or the uh, rumor about chocolate milk, right? We're gonna- the, that is the bad milk. Yeah, that it's the milk with the clots in it, with the blood clots. Oh God, We're gonna no. ruin Why would you chocolate milk forever. You're ruining yeah. everything for me. <laughs> well, back in the back in the day, that may have been more true than it is today. You're probably safe yeah. thanks yeah. to federal uh, health standards. So please Got enjoy it. your chocolate milk. Also, try a YooHoo if you haven't yet. It's a good. It's a good. Uh, YooHoo is to chocolate milk what those cheese slices are to cheese. YooHoo is a chocolate drink product. Right. I don't think there's any real milk or chocolate in that beverage. There's like uh, a powder, it. but but, it's, but it's yeah, like we, water like we're, we're inundated with cheese in the U.S. It's officially a cheesy country and a cheesy people. How did we get here? Well, there are some easy kind of fun answers. Uh, first, the popularity of cheese owes a ton to the rise of pizza. And I, for one, am grateful for the rise of pizza. I know it's maybe not the same as the legit pizza. Consu- I know it's absolutely not the same as legit pizza uh, created in Italy. But 
because of pizza alone, mozzarella went from being kind of this obscure thing you'd see at a fancy cheese place to one of the most popular varieties of cheese in the country, like around like cheddar status, which is right. cheddar is like the Kanye West of cheese in the States. Ben, was that an accidental pun? The rise of pizza? No. Wait, yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. I didn't okay. think about well, it. I'm just checking that, checking one of those off the list if anyone wants to make a <laughs> drinking game out of this. Yeah, accidental have, or not, accidental or not. <laughs> we have a list of, uh, I think we all have, we've got a mental list of puns. So again, this is going to be pun heavy. We've done some pretty serious uh, kind of dark episodes uh, that were, we think, very important. So we wanted to take, we're recording on a Friday, folks. We wanted to do something that was not immensely depressing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, no, you're right. Just to get to the concept that cheese owes pizza a lot of gratitude, at least as an industry, as a food thing, uh, really think about think about the local pizza chain that maybe you grew up with. Then also think about the big ones, the Domino's, the Pizza Huts, eventually the Papa John's and the Goodfellas and the CC's and all these other ones. When when you all of a sudden you had companies that could just deliver you food which wasn't a big thing in a lot of places and for a lot of companies delivering food was not a big thing, but it kind of changed the game and how Americans got food. And the other thing just to really remember here, these aren't Italian companies bringing, you know, Italian pizza that's done correctly in the Italian way. These are American companies that are creating food products with relatively cheap ingredients oh yeah uh, where they can make a ton of money on uh so it's just a it's a very different it's a very different thing um we don't have to get all into pizza that we can leave that to the saver folks but uh mm-hmm. i don't know shout out to saver yeah definitely shout oh. out to well but, but it's something we see all the time right there's like bastardization and sort of like um I don't know, uh, co-opting of like culture and turning it into this sort of like product that can be mass marketed. And I think uh, these chain pizza restaurants are exactly that because you go to like uh, Antico's, a really awesome pizza joint here in Atlanta or anywhere, you know, that you're you name your pizza joint of choice that is like a little more traditional. You know, it's not covered in shredded cheese. No. It has like a slice of like buffalo mozzarella, like a little circle dollop on the top. And that's what you get. And it's delicious and it's very delicate and light. Uh, and it's not, you don't get that massive cheese pull. You get like one, but you know, again, they've got bags and bags and pounds and thousands and thousands of tons of this stuff that they're trying to ship. They're trying to sell. And it's like a, it is a conspiracy between big pizza and big cheese. Well, let's let's step back a second before we use the c word. So, uh, we, let's keep painting the picture, right? Did did someone who went on to found Domino's and Pizza Hut go to Italy and say, "Look at this! Anything you can do, I can do." Feta, uh, or was this just a natural outgrowth of changing trends and taste in the American public? Did it happen? as marketers would put it, organically. We know that part of the, that we know that pizza has also uh, given a, a lot of heft to shredded cheese in particular. About $6 billion of the natural cheese category, shredded cheese. And uh, this, the natural cheese category overall is a little less than 18 billion. We're talking a lot of money here. Uh, during the coronavirus pandemic, Kraft Heinz, 
which is a giant in the food industry, said it saw an unprecedented double-digit growth in the sale of those craft singles, which is, in the rest of the world, people would probably call that American cheese. It's those processed yellow cheese slices we're talking about. But pizza and a pandemic and organic taste cannot entirely explain America's weird relationship with cheese. When we look into the dawn of the American age of cheesiness, we were surprised to find there is literally a conspiracy afoot, not a conspiracy theory, not something that happened in the past. It is going on today. Uh, as, as we pointed out, there really is a thing called big cheese, and they're after you. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. 
With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Here's where it gets crazy. So we've all heard of government cheese, right? We'll get to that. Um, if you if you were an 80s or 90s kid, you had doubtlessly heard of this stuff, even if you never saw it in person. Uh, but when we're talking about cheese, we're really talking about milk, right? Because you can't have cheese, well, you can't have good cheese without milk. That's right. So let's, let's, let's wind the clock back to the good old 1980s, the late 80s, on the cusp of the 90s, that, that gray period where it sort of still feels like the one era, but things are starting to change a little bit. 1987, the median dairy farm had 80 cows or fewer. Uh, today, that number is closer to 900. So economies of scale drive costs down and bolster output, right? So on top of that, you got the average cow producing more milk than ever before, and that is because of better breeding practices. They've kind of figured it out and honed it down to a science to get the most output for their buck. Um, and there but, are also those like heinous machines that you've seen in like some of the factory production of milk. I like the phrase heinous machines. That sounds like a good album name. I agree, but I think we all know we're talking about those kind of like dystopian sci-fi milk suction cup tube machines. Mm. Is that what you're talking about, Matt? Yeah, so, and some of them are completely fine. I mean, well, who, who's to say? People would argue that fact. But um, many are less impactful on the cows than others. Uh, some, I, I would use the term heinous. So, uh, yeah, anyway. At the very least, it doesn't seem pleasant for the animal, right? Yeah, Absolutely. But uh, as we know, in our previous work on livestock conspiracies, the feeling of the animal being used doesn't often come into play. And there's also we should also, by the way, folks, do a an episode in the future on chicken farms, just chicken, chicken, uh, the chicken industry, poultry industry in particular. It's bad, bad. I learned some weird stuff. But wait, this is our light episode. We're keeping it light. Sorry. Sorry, guys. We're back to it. So, oh, you know at, what it is? Yeah. At, even at the cost, I mean, and it's hard to even talk about, but at the cost of the experience of the cow, the whole point of all of that production is to get more food for humans that need food. In theory. In theory, yes. Because it's responding <sighs> to a market, right? Hmm. There's a need for this milk. So we must produce more of it. How do we do that more efficiently? Oh, well, this is how. So I just put that out there. Yeah, there is a logic. Yeah, there is a logic. The farmers weren't sitting around saying, how can we make things worse? People don't usually think that way. Uh, and, and, you know, often, especially on smaller farms, uh, they, they have a very human connection with their livestock, you know, and they, and they want... They want these cows to live good lives and be happy because if the cow is in a good mental state, because it is a higher order mammal, if it's in a good mental state, then that's going to affect its diet, its nutrition, and therefore the milk it produces. Uh, we have to acknowledge at this point the dairy industry, we're talking about 
uh, several years or decades or so ago, uh, they were not just producing milk for a domestic uh, consumer, they were producing it for other countries. And then a crash hit. China's economy slowed down. This drove the global demand for milk down. At the same time, the EU said th they had had these domestic caps on how much milk uh, a, a European or EU farmer could produce, and they removed those caps. So all of a sudden, the EU is making a bunch of milk, which means they need less from the U.S. Russia slapped sanctions on foreign cheese because they were mad about some Western sanctions. And then the U.S. dollar was stronger, and that meant that American dairy farmers had to sell milk uh, at a more expensive rate internationally. And these factors combined into this like bubbly queso dip of problems. There was a massive ongoing cheese glut. There was not a tortilla chip of a solution in sight. This did not occur in a vacuum at all, historically, because if you look back, you'll see that the U.S. government has a very long history of supporting dairy farmers when prices collapse uh, through, through subsidies, through marketing campaigns, through government cheese. Uh, maybe we we should talk a little bit about government cheese, I think, before we continue. What do you guys say? I, I think we should because I, for the longest time, sort of thought it was a joke, um, <laughs> that, that it was sort of a euphemism for, you know, welfare in some way. But it turns out it's a real thing. It's an actual cheese product that the government would distribute to low-income individuals uh, and families um, in place of money or as a supplement to their, you know, nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's processed cheese. It's been around since the World Wars. It was used in military kitchens during World War II. It's been in schools since the 1950s. Uh, so if you went to a public school in the U.S., you probably at some point did eat government cheese. It got a. Uh, it became politically charged because it was associated with welfare beneficiaries, people uh, who received food stamps or SNAP, uh, people who were elderly and got social security checks, and then people who visited food banks. But there's absolutely nothing shameful about that, and and you know, odds are. Outside of schools, we've got plenty of people in our audience today uh, who have at some point been on government assistance and not to soapbox too much, but yeah, you should not feel bad about it. That is what that assistance is there for. Every time you buy something and Uncle Sam takes a little takes a little vig from you at the cash register, it's supposed to go back to you in some way. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was myself when I was a young new parent, um, you know, kind of getting started in my career, even before, really, I was uh, there was a period where we were living with my my mom um, when my daughter was born. And uh, we got a little bit of government assistance for a brief period of time um, when we lived in Athens, Georgia. It was actually kind of great because they had a system where you could use those SNAP benefits to shop at the local farmer's market and you would get two to one um, value for your snap dollars. So that was actually a really progressive, uh, great way of doing it, I thought. And it, it would also support local farmers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of, that's part of what this, uh, that's part of the good intention behind programs like this. The, the cheese though, where did all this government cheese come from? That's the question. That's where we we see some wrinkles in the story. Yeah, because, what really was yeah. the motivation to get 
people who needed food more food or was there something else behind that move? Exactly, Matt. Exactly. So the cheese often came from food surpluses that were stockpiled by the government as part of these this huge subsidy system. Uh, butter was also stockpiled, and then it was given under the same program. But you don't hear a lot of people talking about government butter. It doesn't. Good. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good. Exactly. So while this program is not nefarious. It also isn't fully altruistic. Uncle Sam is killing two birds with one wheel of Parmesan here. Yes, they are feeding the hungry, but they are also supporting a massive, sometimes faltering dairy industry by guaranteeing farmers will be able to sell their products even if the actual demand does not exist. This is exactly what Matt was talking about earlier when we kept saying in theory to each other, uh, because in theory is not the same thing as in practice. Gentlemen, it is time for us to share with our fellow conspiracy realists the story of the Illuminati of cheese, which is a real thing. Uh, can we say that one more time and Paul maybe give us a, like a whatever is a cheesy sinister sound effect? <laughs> the Illuminati of cheese. Ooh. Perfect. I thought you meant literal cheese sound effect, but well, we'll see what Paul comes up with. Uh, maybe magic, that's what he did. Magic man. <laughs> what are you talking uh, about? We already know where this is happening in real time. That's right. That was genius, Paul. Whatever it was. Yeah, we uh, we paused the recording and brainstormed about this for 20 minutes, right? So uh, <sighs> as we said, American consumption of cheese has skyrocketed, but even that skyrocketing consumption which was not organic, by the way, has not been enough to meet demand because we are uh, grappling with a system that has been in place since the 1930s, since the Great Depression, when the federal government bailed out America's dairy industry with all these subsidies. And many people who are not in, in the dairy industry themselves are not aware of this, but those subsidies are in effect today. And part of the knock-on consequence of this is that Uncle Sam has underwritten this gigantic surplus of milk in the dairy industry that far, far exceeds the appetites of Americans. Like, we, even, even the cheesiest cheese lover in this country, like the number one cheese eater person, uh, if everybody was like that person, we still would not be able to buy all the milk and all the cheese that was being produced. And when when the U.S. government realized that there was this huge surplus, they found themselves in a difficult political situation. Uh, they, they knew that it would be and this is something we talked about in the past off air, but you know, during this time, post-World War II, things like that, uh, they knew that they had two choices. They could remove the subsidies, which would lead to, over time, a reduction in the surplus of production, or they could find a way to buy this, to create a market that did not exist at this level. And the rural vote... The farmer vote was very, very important. So, so imagine you're, you're, you know, a presidential administration. Are you going to go to these people who voted for you and then pull the financial rug out from under them? 
Yes, and I want to give you a quick quote from a professor of agricultural economics at Cornell University. This quote comes from a video created by CNBC. You can check it out on YouTube, I believe, right now, or maybe on CNBC. But uh, this quote is dealing with exactly that, Ben. He says that at this time in the 1930s when these subsidies first arrive, quote, rural America presented over half of the population of Americans and farmers presented over half of rural America. So there was this sense that as a politician, as the government, if you are helping out farmers, you are helping out a lot of citizens slash, as you said, Ben, voters. Yeah, that's the thing. That's, and this happens a lot in the kind of political system that the U.S. has, right? You have uh, – sometimes they're vilified as being special interests, right? But you have these – Voters and these businesses or these institutions who have a very specific set of things they want to see in place. And at times, these forces can be relatively apolitical. You know, the name brand of the political party doesn't matter as much as uh, their actions. So, you know, if there's a third party called the um, Provolone Rangers, uh, uh, call. Oh my God! Oh, <laughs> I know man. it just gets worse. Bad. It gets worse. My heart. We did it. Uh, if if you have that, you know, this other party and their their policies are, you know, not too extreme. But one of their big things is they support a subsidy that supports your industry. Then you're probably going to vote for them. You know what I mean? Or at least donate to their cause. So that's what happened. Uh, the U.S. made the decision. To And, you know, I, I think a lot of historians agree it was the right decision to enact these subsidies for the dairy industry and other parts of U.S. business during the Great Depression. But once you open that door, it can be political suicide to close it, to step it back. And so they continued. They continued subsidizing this industry. And now uh, in recent years, the U.S. dairy surplus has uh, reached a record high. And it's it's been going this way for a while. Uh, the USDA quickly realized that as a result of these subsidies, they, they could not figure out what to do with all the milk. And so the Band-Aid solution was, uh, I don't know, make it cheese. Cheese lasts <laughs> longer than milk. And that's what they did. And so in recent years, we have, as we mentioned in our listener mail segment uh, with Ryan, we have... Uh, as a country, generated a surplus of 1.4 billion, with a B, pounds of cheese. And you'll see all these breathless reports. If, like, go on YouTube and just Google cheese surplus. Colbert's got a great spot on it. Um, your, you know, your local news might have done a story on it a few years ago. But you'll see these, these breathless comparisons because we as Americans love weird measurements. Uh, one of the ones we found was... 1.4 billion pounds of cheese, that's enough to wrap around the U.S. capital. Uh, nobody's saying we should consume it all. Luckily, you can store cheese. But even if the nation tried to eat all of this cheese, it's less and less likely that we could do it because that surplus is still building despite the fact that people are consuming more cheese. Uh, there were let alone the health side effects that uh, yeah. <laughs> would wreak havoc on all of us. Well, it's yeah. the greater good. No, it's the thing. That's the thing, though. It's like 
and not not to get soapboxy or anything, but like, you know, with the healthcare crisis that we have in this country, and then you start to see that all of this consumer culture that leads to poor health uh, and and, and this lack of preventative medicine, everything's about curing when you're already like super sick and on your death's door. A lot of it is like literally the fault of the government in the first place this whole cheese glut thing when you really start to drill down into it right like like can mm-hmm. you, i think we can think of probably a better like for the for the individual subsidized food product like granola or something you know i mean what, what about the grain farmers only need help too but it's crazy you guys i just sent a link in the chat um i was just googling government cheese and, and an ebay listing came up for a cardboard packaging box it's like vintage it's like like 60 dollars on ebay um and it says pasteurized process american cheese donated by u.s department of agriculture for food help programs not to be sold or exchanged it just says it all there and it's like i there's that's it's literally helping the government it's not helping the people that need you know better food well, it's like helping them is is kind of a side effect. It's all it's, it's cyclical, yeah. you guys. It's together, right? Yeah, but there's there's nothing wrong with multitasking, you know. And if you're not hurting anybody and you're satisfying two things at once, it's it's understandable. Yeah, but, but I would argue they are hurting people because cheese clogs your arteries if you're eating mm. it like for every meal, and it, it and it leads to this like I think obesity ep- epidemic that we have, and like you know heart disease, heart disease, one of the unhealthiest countries in the world, and I would argue that the government is culpable in that. And on two separate occasions in 2016, first in August and then in October, uh, the feds announced they were going to, quote, bail out dairy farmers. They were going to purchase $20 million more worth of surplus dairy products, a.k.a. cheese, to distribute in food pantries and some milk as well. As this is occurring, by the way, as this surplus is increasing, there's a global drop in demand for dairy. Plus, there's that technology we mentioned that's making cows give more milk which results in the lowest milk prices since the Great Recession, not Depression, but Great Recession ended in 2009. This is something we alluded to in our listener mail segment. Farmers were literally pouring gallons and gallons and gallons of unsold milk into holes in the ground, 50 million gallons. That's according to the USDA itself. In an August 2016 letter, uh, the National Milk Producers Federation asked the USDA for a bailout of $150 million. This was an ongoing, continual issue. It just kind of like would reach a crisis point, maybe go down one step and then go up two steps down one step. It was an incremental increase. And this led to the creation of something with a somewhat innocuous name, Dairy Management Incorporated. Their website is super wholesome, as wholesome as a kid in the 1950s drinking a glass of milk. Can I just say there's got to be a better way to dispose of 50 million gallons of milk than pouring it into a hole in the ground? That's going to be the smelliest hole ever. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. That's That's a a t-shirt. That's going to be this. (laughs) 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 So, yes, we're keeping it. So uh, this is, it's, I mean, it's true because milk doesn't have a very long shelf life. You know what I mean? And 
you you could say, why don't we distribute this as part of an international aid or charity thing? Um, but if you've listened to our previous episodes on farming in the U.S. and across the world, you know, farmers are often put in a very uh, risky situation with a lot of forces that are beyond their control. Uh, so it is understandable, as strange as it sounds, that they might be in a situation where it is literally less expensive for them to get rid of the milk than it is to try to transport it somewhere and pay for the gas and pay for the storage. And Dairy Management Inc. was set to <laughs> was set to try to solve this. The, they were created by something called the National Dairy Promotion Board in the mid-1990s. Here's what they do. Their job is to act as an umbrella company for state and local programs promoting the dairy industry. In blunt terms, folks, this organization, it's a quasi-governmental organization, was explicitly created to push as much milk, cheese, butter, and yogurt as possible into products and into people, both in the U.S. and in other countries. They're the hidden hand behind what appears to be rising cheese consumption. They're the group behind Got Milk, that campaign we mentioned. Everybody remembers Got Milk. There were, uh, it started with like some normal, you know, models, commercial actors, and then it escalated to like celebrities. And everybody would have a little, little milk mustache, right? And then what they're called? Yes, sir. Yep. You saw them in subway stations. You saw them in billboards. There's television commercials. It was absolutely ubiquitous. I mean, it was the kind of campaign that clearly a lot, a lot, a lot of money and uh, marketing resources went into. Yeah, it's it was it was direct to your eyes and ears advertising. That's what they did. And it, it was it, era defining, too. We think of it and it like almost defines like that period in history in our minds. It's like a nostalgia thing at this point, right? Yeah. In a weird way, they're they're mind lobbyists for, for <laughs> on the individual level uh, of of people sitting there watching television. You know, which was television shows. Man, think about as especially kids watching TV shows with all of those like us. I think our generation. I mean, it is the '90s. We got hit hard with the Got Milk campaign, with uh, a lot of the promotion of dairy products, and uh, we it. And it formed a lot in in our minds. I, we're we're going to tell you a lot of these other things that you're going to remember probably from your childhood and growing up that ha, that this company was behind. I'm going to pause it again here. I believe wholeheartedly that the Ninja Turtles television show that I watched as a child had some kind of behind the scenes interaction with this group to get me to like and want pizza all the time. I think I think they're behind it. I can't prove it, but I think they're behind it. <laughs> right. And this goes to this also goes to Ryan's original question about the origin of the cheese powder used in mac and cheese. Uh, I want to pause. So we've got some of our fellow listeners who are who are, you're going to meet at the end of the episode on Twitter with their cheese puns of their own, but I, I wanted to point out this excellent tweet we got from uh, someone who lived in Wisconsin. Uh, this is Steph. And Steph, you said, one of my favorite things while living in Wisconsin were the billboards that were just black text on a yellow field that said, cheese, no other info needed. They knew why you were there. 
And that's like that whenever you see those really vague, this is an important point. Whenever you see those really vague commercials that are not about a specific brand name or product, they're just about a kind of thing, right? Like got milk is never saying, you know, go like it's not greenfield pastures milk. It's just the idea of friggin' milk. Sure. I love those. The other white meat. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's what's for dinner. It's what's for dinner. I love those kind of commercials. You know, I, I want to see more of them where, um, you know, sometimes they're wholesome. They're thing, they're like literacy movements. They're like, read books. Mm-hmm. We don't yes. care which one. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so we see, we see this. And what, they're, what DMI is doing at this time in, the, in their early days is, um, like you said, Matt, they're doing direct-to-consumer advertising. Uh, they're they're playing they're they are playing literal Bernays style mind games. They want you to be thinking about milk. They want you to be thinking about cheese and yogurt when you're in the grocery store. Dream about it. Dream about it. Whoa, I guys really want some cheese right now. Taste the dairy rainbow. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, I don't know why dairy rainbow makes me uncomfortable, but yeah. So something happened though in the late 1990s. People in this country began eating out more often. They were going to restaurants and stuff. They weren't cooking as often at home. So DMI did what corporate America calls a pivot. And they started working with companies that sold food to people in fast food joints, in restaurants, in what is it called? Approachable fine dining, you know, in in a... in the hallowed halls of the Chili's and the TGIFs throughout the nation. But they, what about what about them quick them quick food places? What do you call them? The fast food joints, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. We kid you not. They have been infiltrated. <laughs> How weird is it? They have been infiltrated by TMI. Uh, like, think about this. If you're a 90s kid. You know, and you you enjoyed Book It. You enjoyed that personal pan pizza. You probably you probably have this memory of yeah, stuffed crust pizza in 1995. Uh, yeah, and specifically from maybe you don't even remember eating it necessarily, but you'd certainly remember seeing that cheese pull when and and the whole notion of eating your pizza backwards. That was the whole impetus behind this. And a little old guy uh, we might have heard of named Donald Trump appeared in some of those ads um, eating his pizza backwards and making it sound like, you know, I'm Donald Trump and I'm obviously a smart guy and I eat my pizza backwards because that's just what you do. Idiots. (laughs) (laughs) I think they cut the part where he said idiot. That would have been funny. That would have been edgy for a 90s kid. Uh, But I think you're right. Eating pizza backwards was already this new, exciting, weird, cool thing. Uh, And by the end of the year, this initiative had increased Pizza Hut sales by $300 which sounds like a lot of money, but... Really, it's it's about a seven percent improvement over uh, the previous year. But still, think about all that extra cheese that went in each one of those pizza pies. And if think about if you got a stuffed crust pizza with extra cheese, good God, DMI is just killing it here. Yeah, they're killing it, and they're killing you <laughs> slowly <laughs> from well, the inside out. Greater good. 
If you eat too much stuffed crust, eventually you become the stuffed crust yourself. That's that's the problem. But, you know, this reminds me, I was trying to find, while we were researching this, um, between our listener mail and this episode, I was trying to find this tweet that I loved from an, a while back. It was someone I didn't know very well, uh, but they posted this. This is kind of explicit, so Paul, please beep me. Uh, someone said, I was on a marketing call years ago with uh, Pete, with uh, marketing people at Pizza Hut. And this one guy said, we do it with what? Stuffed crust pizza? No one asked us about that. We just f-ing did it. And then the tweet ended, I think about that guy a lot. <laughs> and I love, I love that idea that someone is so gangster about stuffed crust. But now it makes a little bit more sense because they had help from the Illuminati of cheese. They're not the only example uh, Taco Bell is mm. a huge example. Remember at the top, we said the queso lupa is going to come into play. Uh, in 2012, a DMI operative, <laughs> we could call them that, a uh, food scientist, uh, who's probably a, a fantastic person, we haven't spoken with her directly, named Lisa McClintock, started working with the Taco Bell product development team. Pause here for a second, Taco Bell fans. Does that not sound kind of like a dream job? Right. Like you go home from work and you're stressed out and and your roommates, or your partner, or your friends are, are saying, oh, hey, what's got you down? And you're like kicking rocks and you're like, they're just not, they're just not listening with the burrito design. Okay. You don't want leakage. And I don't, I don't, and you're like, yeah, you're like, Samantha, they don't get my vision. Think about the beauty I mean, we've talked about it before, about yeah. the beauty of Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, some of these other places. You've got a limited number of ingredients. Oh, sure, yeah. But anything you can do to create a new product out of those ingredients can bring in millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> and that's like Mexican food, or at least Americanized Mexican food in general, right? Where like everything on the menu is kind of a different combination of like five or six ingredients. Taco Bell takes it to the extreme and, you know, injects massive marketing dollars into it. Ben, you were talking about what? The queso, what? Queso Lupe? Lupa. There's also the quesarito. Let's not forget about the quesarito. And when you look at it on the Taco Bell website, um, the cheese pouring forth from it is clearly that powdered yellow stuff. Like there's not an ounce of actual cheese in this. I, I, I'm, I'm conjecturing. It just, it's just the wrong color. It's like this kind of weird beige, yellow, pale, odd color when you see it pulling apart in this perfectly symmetrical image. Uh, it also has just an insane amount of saturated fat um, and just more, you know, uh, sodium than anyone should probably consume in a day. Um, but it's absolutely true, Ben. It's genius marketing paired with this actual conspiracy and this idea we got to move some cheese units. Yeah. So Lisa McClintock started working with the senior manager for product development, Steve Gomez, over at Taco Bell. And they said, we need to develop a new kind of cheese, a new cheese filling. A new kind of cheese? A new kind of cheese, you say, here at the Taco Bell? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm at the food science lab. I'm at the Taco Bell. I'm at the combination food science lab (laughs) and Taco Bell. They're they're stretching. So they want to make a stretch. Stretchy cheese that that pulls like taffy when it's heated. 
They want to figure out how to mass produce it. And they want to invent some proprietary machinery to make this. And the proprietary machinery is a really interesting, really clever point. So this, the result of this experimentation uh, is something called the quesalupa. And I, I think the quesarito is clearly part of this too. The quesalupa, as we mentioned earlier, has five times as much cheese as a basic crunchy taco. Taco Bell had to buy 4.7 million pounds of cheese just to produce the shells. So that puts a dent in that 1.3 billion pound surplus. It's weird if you read if you read interviews with people who were in Taco Bell management at the time, then they will say, you know, for the longest time, we thought cheese, sour cream, stuff like that was kind of more of a, a garnish or an add-on to our products. But now it's one of the main things, beef and cheese. So cheese use at Taco Bell, since they partnered with DMI, it's increased by over 22%. And that's that's why... DMI gets this strange, somewhat like half-sinister, half-hilarious nickname, the Illuminati of cheese. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors. <laughs> I don't Crossing my fingers. I'm wondering, I'm wondering too. And we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back to explore uh, some more of unintended consequences of this, again, active, ongoing conspiracy. Do you guys think... The bacon Illuminati worked with Wendy's when they came up with the Baconator? DMI definitely did. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. And we're back. Here's the thing. There's there's no if and uh, or but about it. DMI will tell you, if you speak with them, that their work has helped slow America's declining desire for dairy. And it's true that she, demand for cheese is going like this, and demand for milk is going like this. Uh, so... Uh, ben, try, yeah. do that. Do that for the um, non-visual. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes. So uh, if you look at a grid in your head, uh, demand for cheese is starting at the lower left corner, and it's mm-hmm. going all the way to the top right. Uh, demand for milk is starting sort of midway up your y-axis, and it's going down and to the right. So, oh, beautiful. That works. Okay, so. Demand for milk has gone from 35 pounds per person in 1975 to 15 pounds today. So they've, they've, it's reversed. Like, what was it? No, I think it was you. You said um, demand for uh, cheese was what? 14 something. Oh yeah, that's right. In 1975, Americans were consuming 14 pounds of cheese. Then in uh, like essentially the modern day, it's around 45 pounds of cheese per person per year. Milk has decreased a ton, right? Yeah, I think it was a 200, close to 250 pounds per person in 1975. And in 2018, um, more like 146. So a significant decrease. And this is effective for the a lot of the stakeholders, not counting the consumers. Texas A&M economists did a cost-benefit analysis, and in 2012, they found that for every single dollar a dairy producer invests in DMI, uh, they get $2.14 worth of return for milk, $4.26 worth of return for cheese and $9.63 return for butter. So, Whoa. Yeah, so investing in DMI, if you're a if you're a dairy person, this this really helps. But of course, as we said, DMI has by nature of its mission, its endeavor, they have promoted lots of saturated fat, lots of cholesterol, eating cheese 
can add up. And for a federal agency that is dedicated to improving overall nutrition and giving dietary guidance, these partnerships can seem kind of like a contradiction, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and experts out there who talk about this would completely agree with you, Ben. Uh, there's, There's a food oppression expert named Andrea Freeman who believes that you know this this group DMI's efforts quote impose health costs on Americans generally but disproportionately harm low-income African Americans and Latinos who live in urban centers dominated by fast food restaurants and we've just described how these two giant well now one giant uh Chains that we at least all went to when we were younger, like my family still eats at some of these restaurants um, in these fast food chains. You can see where DMI had large impacts, at least on those brands slash companies. And you can definitely see that uh, you can see the evidence of uh, what what Andrew Freeman is saying here, just in what we described with Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. You can Mm -hmm. really see it. Yeah. And, you know, also. Farmers themselves aren't entirely on board with DMI uh, because some will argue this primarily helps out the big guys, the big dairy players, and not the family farms or the smaller outfits. And that's a that's a valid criticism. We see that happening with other parts of uh, what is called agribusiness on a high level. But either way, it appears the cheesy Illuminati is real and is set to stay. At this point, we want to pass the torch to you folks. We want to get a sense of what you think because they're, they're, uh, there's a web of connections here. Is this, number one, a good idea? Is this, um, you know, some of us may argue it's too much government intervention. Some of us may say it's too dishonest for the public. Other people may say, well, it is, overall, it's uh, more beneficial that it is damaging. Uh, we want to we want to hear from you, and because we purposely wanted this to be <laughs> to be a uh, a lighter episode, and we promised some puns, uh, we went on Twitter uh, and asked people if they would uh, if they would like to help us out with some puns. So the tweet I put out, which is terrible, was. About to record this cheese episode. If you'd like to be a part of the show, hit us up with your favorite cheese puns in the next hour or so. Dot, dot, dot. This will be a Gouda one. Oh, Mm. man. God, I hate it. I hate. Why do we do this? Anyway, here's uh, here are some responses from your fellow listeners. Vaults of Extoth, who we all know and love here on the show, says, E damn it. (laughs) <laughs> as an Edom, I'm assuming I can't think of any that would be good enough for you <laughs> eating cheese no that's not what I meant to say Edom is that a cheese I yeah that one. Uh, it's a cheese. yes and, and just smoked <laughs> yes oh so good um but then vaults vaults follows up with and now I'm getting a pop-up ad hot cheese singles in your area. Thanks guys. (laughs) That's great. Um, Our own, our own close friend and colleague that you've heard on our show before, Annie Reese, uh, uh, one of the co-creators and co-hosts of the amazing saver podcast uh, says unbelievable. You're too big of a cheese to ask for my pun expertise. Now you monster spelled how you would think. 
Yeah, cheese puns, you munster. You believe you're mildly cheddar than us? <laughs> I camembert being so feta up. Oh, uh, my God. That's funny because there, there were some crossovers there between those two. Yeah. Uh, and then what? our buddy Nick Tikoski did a good one. I'd step up, but I got the blues pretty bad this week. Uh, B-L-E-U-S. Yep. And a uh, good friend of the show, the one and only Mike Johns, who recently had a birthday. Mike is a colleague of ours, a fantastic writer, musician, and producer here in Atlanta. Uh, he says uh, something encouraging. He says, you've got some pretty sharp followers. You cheddar get some good suggestions here. I've got half a rind to suggest a few, but I don't want to wedge myself into the conversation. Okay. Wow. Okay. There we go. Um, let's see. He Can, kept going, by the way. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah. Some of these folks are <laughs> ambush. Uh, could we, this is one from, uh, uh, at Grape Wanger. That's a great uh, Twitter name, Vigil. Um, could we not craft less cheesy puns? Craft uh, with a, okay. Uh, no, we can't, Grape Wanger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, wow. Can we can jump to Andy really quickly? Please. Andy, you said, Ben, I believe you have enough puns for us all, but feta safe than sorry. Here's a joke. What hotel do cheese lovers stay in? The Stilton. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. My Stilton Honors Club. Can't wait for that. And then uh, uh, Steph, who we mentioned earlier, says, I'd make a joke about American cheese, but it wouldn't age well. Shots fired. Wow. Shots fired. Uh, you can find you can find more of these puns. We'd love to hear uh, your your favorite cheese puns or your least favorite if you hate puns and ignored our warning and sat through this episode. And equally importantly, we'd like to hear um, – what, what you think about these kind of things. They're part of what's known as check-off programs. We mentioned this earlier. The idea is that it is so important to have your own domestic sources of food that you will, you know, you'll go out of your way to support them more than you may some other businesses. Oh, and uh, Jenna V says, sweet dreams are made of cheese. Sweet dreams are made, of, made cheese. of cheese. Oh, am I to disagree? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All we right. got to get out of this, guys. We got to get out of this. The Paul, I can feel Paul groaning. Yep. So uh, so let us know your thoughts. Uh, we can't wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on the internet where you can also find uh, that uh, vintage government cheese box that I mentioned. Uh, the listing is still live on eBay if you're, if you're down for that. Um, just search for vintage government cheese box on eBay. I think the bid is up to around 60 bucks. But if you're looking for us, you can find us on Instagram uh, where we are Conspiracy Stuff Show, Twitter and Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. You can also give us a telephone call. We are one 833 stdwytk Hit him with it, Matt. Yeah, hit him with the the rules. <laughs> I was gonna. I was trying to think. Of hay? Is there a hay? Is there a cheese that rhymes with hay? The, not the uh, way. Hit him with the way. way. Yes. When you call, please tell us the name you would like for us to refer to you as. Doesn't have to be your real name. Could be a code name like Doc Holiday or Mission Control. Super cool. Then let us know if we can use your message on air. That's very helpful for us. Thank you. Uh, lawyers say cheers. Uh, then leave your message. Please only call once per subject. That would be very helpful as well. And if you've got a message you want to say personally to us, please put it right in the end there. You've got oh, a quick mm -hmm. update. Yeah. Does this just in uh, codename Doc Holiday adds that 
Havarti and Gruyere are, uh, are are very high on her list, and I just I promised her we would mention that. Oh, that's important. That's uh, important stuff. And you call us, tell us your favorite cheeses, what you know about the cheese spiracy going on here. Cheese spiracy, <laughs> yeah, you whatever. son of a. That's perfect. <laughs> that's right. Um, oh man, and uh, if you don't want to do that stuff. You don't want to leave us a message. You don't want to find us on the internet. Definitely check out the YouTube channel, Conspiracy Stuff over there. And if you have something to tell us and you want to send links or you want to, you know, really write a lot of stuff out, please use our good old fashioned email address. We are conspiracies at iHeartRadio.com. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.